Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today for part two, talking about the kindness of David toward Mephibosheth. And more importantly, how does that apply to us? Well, there's four ways that God meets our deepest needs through kindness. I could probably give you a list of 40 things, uh, but as I was studying the story of David and Mephibosheth, uh, four things kind of jumped off the page at me uh, when I thought about the life and the relationship of David and Mephibosheth. Now, when we look at the name Mephibosheth, I told you yesterday some commentators believe that it means one who has bad breath. Others would say that it actually means one who is the eliminator or the exterminator of shame. Now, I think I like that name a little bit better, uh, that definition a little bit better, okay? Uh, this is Saul's grandson, David's son. And, uh, and as we look at Mephibosheth, uh, the name of Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son, uh, we discover that he was crippled. And uh, because he was crippled, he was living in Lodabar, which means the place of no pasture. Uh, some would say it's the place of no hope because you can't grow anything there. And if you can't grow anything there, uh, there's no hope you can have anything to eat. Uh, it was a desolate place, kind of matching probably how Mephibosheth felt about his lot in life. When we look at kindness, I told you I wanted to begin the broadcast today uh, with how we can share the gospel. And we're living in a day and age where a lot of people wrongly think nobody is interested in the gospel. Nobody's interested in, in our faith. Uh, nobody wants to go to church anymore. Nobody wants to be connected with the family of God anymore. We feel like uh, we're in a very um, anti-Christian culture, and, uh, and it's a, a postmodern day, a year that we're living in. But I want you to know, people are still getting saved. The kingdom of God is bigger today than it was yesterday. It'll be even bigger tomorrow. People are constantly being added to the kingdom of God. So in the last 72 hours, I have had the privilege of leading three people to a saving knowledge of Christ. The first one was on Sunday. Uh, we do two services. We do a 9 o'clock and a 1045 service. And as is my custom, I always like to talk to the members of our congregation uh, in between services. I like to greet them as they're coming in, uh, especially our first-time guests as they come. And uh, if you come to visit Hickory Ridge Community Church, I will make it my point to personally meet you. And, uh, and our greeters do an amazing job. Uh, they always make sure that the guests uh, uh, somehow get connected with me because uh, I love talking to people who are new to our church. I love to hear your story of how the Lord's working in your life and how the Lord brought you to our community. And uh, I just love hanging out with people. I guess you could say that's kind of my spiritual gift, just hanging out, right? I'm just talking to people and hanging out with people. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm usually one of the first people to get to church and uh, usually the last one to leave because I just love hanging out with God's people. And so this particular Sunday, last Sunday, in between our services, uh, a man came in and he caught my eye and he says, I need to talk to you. I didn't know who this guy was. And uh, I was talking to several other people. I said, can you give me just a moment? And I finished talking up with the people I was talking with. And I struck up a conversation with him. Well, I knew his dad. His dad had brought him to church uh, Sunday. And I could tell by looking in his eyes that he was under duress, carrying a burden. And uh, I said, what? what's happened in your life? I got his name. I introduced myself. And I says, what is it that is weighing you down? He began to share his story. And I said, you know, it sounds like to me 
that you are a perfect candidate for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you just a couple of things. And, you know, sharing the gospel doesn't have to be a weird or an awkward thing. It's just carrying on a conversation with people. And sharing the gospel with people is just giving people the good news. Uh, It's not giving the people the condemnation. It's giving them the good news. I could tell this guy already felt dejected. He already felt broken. Uh, He already felt down in the dumps. Uh, He was discouraged, and he didn't know what else to do. So his dad says, why don't you come to church? And so he came to church. And as I began to speak with him, I shared the gospel with him. Now, this is what you got to do. Sharing the gospel is as easy as A, B, C. Letter A, I've got to admit, I've got to admit that I'm a sinner. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word, fallen short of the glory of God for sin, is missing the mark. And it's actually a terminology that is used in archery. You try to have a perfect shot. You try to get that arrow right in the center of the bullseye, and you don't make it, right? You fall short. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Now, that's talking about spiritual separation. You know, whenever somebody dies, there's always a time of separation. You're no longer able to be with that person because they have passed. That's because of sin. The wages of sin is death. So letter A, admit. Admit I'm a sinner. Admit that there are consequences for my sin. Letter B, you got to believe. What do I have to believe in? You got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Do you believe that? Because salvation is believing the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. When you believe in that, when you trust that, put your confidence in that, then let her see. You confess. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. And so this young man, I went through A, B, C with him. And then I closed by sharing John three sixteen with him, putting his name in there. For God so loved Kyle that he gave his only begotten son, that if Kyle should believe in him, Kyle should not perish, but have everlasting life. At the end of quoting that verse and plugging his name in there, I said, now, Kyle, you have heard the gospel. Do you understand what I've shared with you? He said, oh, yes, I understand. Do you understand that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Oh, yes, I do believe I'm a sinner. Uh, do you understand and believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, I absolutely do. And I said, okay, would you pray with me and receive this free gift of salvation? Now, some people think that, so when I finished quoting John 3, 16, I had plugged his name in there. I offered him to pray the sinner's prayer. Now, the sinner's prayer, some people think it's hokey. Some people think it's it's not necessary. But I have discovered that that is kind of like the fulfillment of the marriage vows, right? Uh, You're sealing the deal uh, when you pray the sinner's prayer. And the Bible does say uh, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, calling upon the name of the Lord, uh, I think, is praying, right? Uh, you pray to the Lord, He hears your prayer, and uh, He forgives your sins. And so as you pray the sinner's prayer, it's a simple prayer. Dear God, 
I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short of your glory. I also know there are consequences for my sins, but I know that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for my sin. And not only did he go to that cross dying for my sins, but three days later he rose again. He resurrected from the dead. And today I put my trust in Christ. I trust him to be Lord and Savior of my life. I ask him to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life and to change my life. A simple prayer like that changes your life. It's not the precise wording of that prayer. It is the faith behind that prayer. You see, when you're born again, it is a transfer of trust. Most people trust themselves, right? And so this young man, Kyle, prayed to receive Christ in between two services this past Sunday. And then Wednesday night, Wednesday night, we do the Awana program, and Wednesday night, we have youth group, and, and we have gospel project, and I've been teaching a discipleship class. Well, at the end of the class, uh, this young couple, they came in, and uh, they had some questions. And so they sat down there with me and, and uh, had some questions, and, and as I'm talking with them, I got this impression that they were not saved. They've been coming to church for a couple weeks. Uh, they're starting to plug in but I felt like they weren't saved. And the conversation began with with her asking about baptizing uh, their infant. And I was trying to explain to them uh, that we don't baptize infants, we do baby dedications, and we'd love to schedule a baby dedication for their newborn. But then as I got talking to them, I kind of realized that they didn't understand completely what the plan of salvation was all about. And so I took a little different approach with them And I think that if you are sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God will guide you as you're talking with people. And uh, you may share some of the same verses, uh, but you're going to take a little different approach based upon where the Lord is leading. Uh, So in their case, uh, I felt like they were basing their salvation on their works. The fact that they were raised uh, in a particular faith and they were working hard. And so I asked the wife first. I said, well, let me ask you a question. If you were to die right now, and heaven forbid that happens, right? But if you were, and St. Peter is up there at the pearly gates, and he would say to you, Sarah, why should I let you into God's heaven? What are you going to say? And she thought about it for a moment, and she says, well, you know, I have been a pretty good person. I said, okay, that's a good answer. I said, but if I can show you from the Bible an answer that's a little bit different than the answer you just gave me, would you be interested? And she says, yes, yes, I would be. And then I turned to the husband and I says, now, let me ask you the same question. If you were to die and uh, St. Peter would say to you, hey, Joe, uh, why should I let you into God's heaven? What are you going to say? And Joe says, well, you know, as I look at my life, I'm trying to do the best I can. And I think that because I'm trying to do the best I can, God understands. Uh, He understands that I'm not perfect, but he also looks at me and says, okay, uh, you're doing the best that you can. And so I said, okay, Uh, so you believe that God kind of grades on a curve, right? So if your best is better than most people, uh, then you're okay. But like if you're way off the chart, uh, you're going to mess up the curve, right? Uh, The murderers and all that, they really mess up the curve. But at least you're on the top side of that curve. And uh, you're not perfect, but you're better than your, than your average human being, right? You haven't killed anybody. 
and uh, you're not incarcerated. So uh, you're doing the best you can. So God's going to say, okay, Joe, uh, you did the best you could with what you have. Come on into my heaven. And I said, if I could show you from the Bible an answer that is different than the one you just gave me, would you be interested? And so I opened up the Bible. I had a little New Testament there, and I, I said, let's look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I explained to this couple, can you imagine how terrible of a place heaven would be if we got there because of our good works? Uh, the Bible is very clear. We would be bragging. We'd be talking to one another, hey, how'd you get up in heaven? Oh, well, I'll tell you how I got here. I gave a bunch of money to the church. How'd you get here? Oh, that's nothing, man. Uh, I went out and I, uh, I, I took care of and fed all the poor, right? And I established this great feeding center for poor people. Uh, and we'd be trying to one-up each other, and it'd be a miserable place, right? The cool thing about heaven, none of us deserve to be there. Not one, except the angels who were perfect and, and God himself. Everyone else is there uh, because of the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and the sacrifice of Christ. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, after talking with this couple about 15, 20 minutes, I went through what is called the Romans Road. And uh, the Romans Road begins with uh, the fact that all have sinned, and then the Romans Road continues on, that God commended his love toward us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then you go to Romans 10, 9, and 10, uh, that if we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so that couple prayed right there together as husband and wife. And so people are still very much interested in the gospel. So don't get discouraged. I've discovered something about how people get saved. I've discovered the more I share my faith, the more people get saved. Now, this is such an important truth, right? I think it is easy for us to fall into a very dangerous trap. The goal of the church is not to make bad people good people. The goal of the Christian life, carrying out our Great Commission, is to make people who were dead alive. Because we really can't stop people from being bad. That's their nature, right? We were born in sin. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. I wish I could change your character, and I wish I could change my character. And I wish I could say, okay, I've got the willpower to overcome my weaknesses. But the goal of the church is not to make bad people good. It's to make dead people alive. You are dead in your trespasses and your sins, but we're alive in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He has given us new life. That's what being born again is all about. This couple that was saved uh, uh, just last night, I'm recording this just a few hours after this couple prayed to receive Christ, I gave them an assignment, and I'm going to check with them later on today just to follow up with them in a, in a kind way uh, to see if they follow through with the assignment. I asked them to read John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a fascinating chapter. It's the story of a rich man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. Obviously, he was afraid to talk to Jesus during the day, so he goes to Jesus 
by night. And he says, Rabbi or teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, you must, and he's emphatic about this, right? You must be born again. And in John chapter 3, we had that most famous verse, John 3, 16. When we think about sharing the gospel, God's kindness to us will allow us to see what the gospel is all about. Let's look at the story of David and Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9, David sends Ziba out to find if there's anybody in the household of Saul who is still alive so that he can care for them, so that he can bless them. They find Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is crippled. As he comes into the presence of the king, he bows down and he says, What is your servant that you should take an interest in a dead dog like me? You know what David is doing? Same thing that God does for us. He is taking somebody who is most undignified. He's living in a place called no pasture. He's crippled. He's an outcast. He's a leftover from the previous dynasty. But David is reaching out in kindness to him. All of a sudden, Mephibosheth is given dignity. You know, dignity is a most valuable asset. I was reading the story not too long ago of a man who was on a crowded subway. He's riding this crowded subway in New York City. Every 10 or 15 seconds or so, somebody behind this man would shout loudly words that were unable to be understood. They were unintelligible words. Well, the first time, the man just ignored them. After several outbursts, however, he turned around to see what was going on. And he could see there was a disheveled man behind him. Sitting fairly close to him was a woman who was reading the newspaper. And the man watched. And he watched that man with the disheveled hair reach out and touch the knee of the woman sitting next to her and quickly would bring his hand back up. Well, not getting any response, he did it again a few seconds later. It seemed like a game, you know, something like a child might play. Each time, his face showed that he was pretending not to have touched her. Nobody said anything, but those sitting near him exchanged nervous glances and began to slowly inch away from this man. I was caught off guard by what happened next. The woman put down her newspaper, looked at the man. Now, I expected her to rebuke him, but instead, she politely engaged the man in conversation. This is what she said to him. "Uh, Sir, do you know where your next stop is? He nodded that he did and asked another question. Do you need any help getting to where you need to go? He shook his head no. I don't know what motivated this woman to treat a stranger on the subway with such kindness, but the way that she asked these questions showed that she was genuinely concerned for his welfare. She chose to respond as a real person with real needs, not just as an annoyance on her commute. The incident reminded me of how the Apostle Paul saw people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You know, many people on that subway car, including the man who wrote the article, 
had looked at that individual from a human point of view. In contrast, the woman who spoke to him reflected the perspective of Paul. She addressed him as a person who had inherent worth. You know, God created every single one of us in the image of God. Even those who have hurts, even those who have mental health issues, even those who have physical handicaps, even those who struggle and can't overcome addiction, God gives them dignity. That's what David did to Mephibosheth. So here's my question to you today. Who in your life needs a heavy dose of dignity given to them through your kindness? Has it ever occurred to you that maybe, just maybe, that neighbor that's next to you, that is a major annoyance to you? Maybe God put him there so that you could bring dignity into his life. That's exactly what David did. That's exactly what God does to us. God gives us dignity, our most valuable assets, and he gives it through his kindness. There's another thing that we see that God does through kindness. Through his kindness, he gives us his acceptance. You know, acceptance is a most wonderful feeling. David, in one magnificent gesture of kindness, reached out to Mephibosheth and restored him to an exalted position with just one short little sentence. And here it is. Hey, Mephibosheth, you can eat at my table. You know, Thanksgiving is just a few weeks away. I can't believe it's already that time of year. Christmas is just a few weeks away. When I look at this short chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 9, on four occasions, David invites Mephibosheth to eat at his table. Let me read them to you. Verse 7, hey Mephibosheth, you will always eat meals at my table. Verse number 10, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, you're always to eat at my table. Verse number 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Verse number 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame at both feet. Now, when I think about being kind and accepting people who are much different than we are, it doesn't mean that we have to approve of everything they do. Acceptance is a most wonderful thing. Elizabeth Elliot, you may or may not know who she is. She passed away many years ago. Her husband went to, to minister and to share the gospel uh, with some people in a foreign country, and they ended up killing her husband and, and the other men that were with him. And, and then Elizabeth Elliot went back to that those same savages and, and those same cannibalistic people, and, and she shared the gospel with them. But Elizabeth Elliot said this, Resignation lies down quietly in an empty universe. That's where we just give up, right? It's an empty universe. It lies quietly. But then she says, acceptance rises up to meet the God who fills that universe with purpose and destiny. When we resign, resignation says, I can't. But God says, I can. Resignation says, it's all over for me. But acceptance asks, now that I'm here, Lord, what's next? Resignation says, what a waste. Acceptance says, in what redemptive way can you use this mess, Lord? You know, one of the reasons I love Celebrate Recovery, because we have life after life after life who came 
and entered into uh, Celebrate Recovery, and their life was a mess. But God took that mess and turned it into a testimony. God turned that message all around. I want to encourage you today. Reach out to be kind to somebody. You never know the difference that's going to make in somebody's life. You may be sitting in traffic right now, and you're wondering why in the world does that guy keep uh, uh, cutting you off? Why in the world does that guy keep hitting the brakes? Uh, Why don't you just let his car coast a little bit instead of being so brake happy? Uh, Why don't you reach out in kindness? Just say hello to him. Let him go in front of you. Uh, You discover an amazing thing will happen. Your spirit will begin to change. Uh, He may not know how to respond to that kind of kindness, but your spirit will change. Oh, I would love to pray for you. In the few seconds that I have left, let me give you my phone number. If I can pray for you, I will pray for you specifically, 252-267-2365. I will pray for you. I'll ask our prayer team to pray for you, and uh, we can pray for you anonymously if you feel more comfortable doing that. But I believe in the power of prayer. James says the prayer of a righteous man is effective and powerful. So we pray for you today. Uh, We lift you up. We ask that you be filled with kindness. Now join me tomorrow uh, for the third part of the kindness of David and how God uses kindness to reach our most important needs. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.